This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Bible, turn with me to Isaiah 58. This is our theme passage for the year, Isaiah 58. We've been talking about rising, and of course, in order for us to rise in the Lord, we have to rise to the occasion. Every single promise in the Scripture is conditional upon something, isn't it? Everything, every single Scripture, every single promise is, is conditional upon something. When the Lord tells you in a prophetic word you're going to be a great man or a woman of God, someday you're going to be a preacher to thousands, that assumes automatically that you're going to be studying your word and preparing yourself for ministry and, and that you're not going to be a drunkard, right? That, that's a, some certain things that are not even spoken that are conditional, you know. And, uh, but this is a, our passage for the year from uh, Isaiah 58, verse 6, and we'll read down for a little bit, and then I want to draw our attention to some things. It says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. And you will cry out for help, and He will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always, and He will satisfy your needs, even in a sun-scorched land. And you will be strengthened in your frame, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. When God gave me this verse for the beginning of the year, He said this is what we are going to rise to, that we are going to rise up. But the condition is that we take care of some things. But don't we love these promises, these promises of crying out and the Lord will say, here I am, and He will be right there for us. That He will supply our needs even in a sun-scorched land, even in a difficult economy. He would be there to be uh, our, our presence and our and our sustenance, even in the middle of that, that we will be like a well-watered garden, that our frames will be strengthened. Come on, somebody. These are wonderful promises that God promises to those who get the heart of God, who grab a hold of God's beating heart for the world. You see, he begins by saying, is this not the fast I have chosen? He's saying it's not about all the religious duties. It's not about all the, all the things that have the religious trappings hanging on them. It's about being the people of God. Getting first the heart of God in your heart then making your actions measure up to the ethics of the kingdom. To make your heart measure up to the, the purpose and the plan of the kingdom. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about poverty. Helping the poor. 
Helping the poor is a gospel obligation. It's a gospel obligation. We don't hear very many messages about helping the poor, but this fits right in here with, the, with our theme this year. It says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set oppressed free and break every yoke, and to share your food with the hungry and to provide poor, the poor wanderer with shelter, and to, when you see the naked, to clothe them? So when the Scripture tells us, challenges that, us with that condition, it, it recognizes that we need incentive the Lord knows we need incentive, and so the Lord gives us these promises. Then you'll cry out, and your voice will be heard. Your prayers will be answered. Then you will be able to do those things. Because God wants you, He uses these things to entice us to become more like Him. We, we cannot say that we are mature Christians until we are, until we are the perfect men and women that we are aspiring to, according to Ephesians. God is, is calling us to this, and so I want to talk a little bit about poverty today. There are those people... Christians, many pastors, who, who use the Scripture to try to coerce us, to try to uh, uh, feel, make us feel like we have not just an obligation or duty, but to almost twist our arms because of their political angle on those things. I could give you names of people who are well-known ministers who will twist Scripture to try to make it say something that it, 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 it's not quite saying. And so... Um, and so we, we want to take a look at what the Scripture says about this because sometimes it's overblown, sometimes it's politicized, and sometimes it's made to say something that's not quite sane. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 25, and he says, Jesus is telling a story about the end of the age. And uh, it's important for us to recognize that what, what God is talking about, all through the Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, God is talking about Crafting out of, carving out of people that are for himself. Covenant people, whether old covenant or new covenant. Covenant people, and so he's calling us together. And he has special expectation. God's purpose and plan is to create a people that is so uh, different than the rest of the world that the rest of the world will look and wonder and, and, and in awe and desire to be among those people. The things will be so different. There will be some such uh, peace and such harmony, such love, such, such supply, such caring and concern that people will say, behold, as they did for the very first century church, they said, behold how they love one another. That was what the world said about that first century church. Behold how they love one another. The, that the church would be, be that kind of people. And so God is calling these people to do that. Now, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll read this and they'll, they'll stop somewhere you know, here. So in verse 31, 25, 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in the heavenly glory. And all the, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one for another as shepherds separate sheep from goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in and invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. And I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Oftentimes, they will, by, by just reading that portion of Scripture, they will... They will sort of put upon the church the idea that we're supposed to feed all the hungry in the world. And frankly, there's no possible way 
that the church could meet that great of a need. And it's often, when we look at it, we read it, we say, we kind of nod our heads after you've been around the block a little bit. You kind of nod your head and you go, oh, yeah, well, that's a pretty big need. and we don't, we don't have that. But if you look at the very next verse, you recognize that Jesus has, is not aiming this at feeding the whole world, but rather He's talking about working within the church first. And so He says, Then the righteous will answer Him, Lord, when did we see You hungry and feed You, or thirsty and give You something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whenever you did it for one of these, one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And he goes on to declare that this is ministry that's supposed to be happening within the local church because those that were in prison in the local church were those who were taking a stand for the faith in Jesus Christ. And they, they didn't eat if somebody didn't visit them with some food. And those who are sick in the church, see, how in the world can we reach all the world around us? How can we ever reach everyone out there when we don't practice the very principles and ethics of the kingdom amongst ourselves within the church of Jesus Christ? I come from old-time Pentecost where, where when someone was sick, we would set up a, a prayer, prayer times around the clock, around their deathbed, around their bed. And we would pray sometimes four or six hours at a time, kneeling at their bedside, praying and interceding, asking God. To, and then we would, somebody would ring the bell and we would go over there and then the next shift would come in. And we would pray through. We, we, that's what we called it, praying through. We would do that because the body of Christ cared for one another. We fellowshiped with more than just the back of the neck of the person in front of us like we're doing today. We, we cared about, we were compassionate, we visited, we fed. We, and some of us get this, but, but you recognize that this, this is what the church is supposed to be, a community of people who are filled with the love of God, moved by the Spirit of God, and don't have any problem giving whatever they can to try to make things work within the body of Christ and try to make some people's lives better. I, I should say, I will aggravate almost everybody in here at some point today. No matter where you are in the political spectrum, you will be agitated a little bit about me because I, I, while I believe this verse specifically tells us, in fact, I've heard these guys use, use verses like Deuteronomy 15 that there should be no person, a poor person among them and say that, that, that we should alleviate poverty somehow within the world by, by the, some action that the church does. But if we look at that passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy 15, we recognize that God says, that we, if we're obedient, if we're, if it's obviously speaking to the covenant people, giving them, if you're obedient, if you uh, do what I tell you to do, then no person, no poor person will be among you. Why? Because you'll get my heart, and you know how to give to people what 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 you you have, and you'll recognize that it's not a, a zero sum gain. That it's that, that, that there's this this whole issue is more than we could ask or think. It's bigger than what we could do. And then he says, and then. You, you will lend to many nations and borrow from none. And then you will rule over many nations and none, no other nations will rule over you. Why? Because you will be the people of God. Both Old Testament and New Testament can be abused to, to make us think that we have too big of a task and causes us to give up. It's like telling a child, a, a two-year-old, to clean up their room when it's a god-awful mess. And they just become completely overwhelmed. And that, many people in the church, they do that. They, but, but you see, it becomes very localized. And so when we pitch in to love one another, to lift one another up, to help one another out, when we do that within the body of Christ, then that something, somehow makes this a place that, where the blessing of God is. 
And that's what God wants to do. He wants to make it an example. Because you know what? People don't, they're not quiet. They, they begin to say, hey, these people prayed for me. These people came and visited me when I was in the hospital. When I was in, in, in a tough time, they lent me a couple bucks. And when I was, when I was doing this or that, they, they talked me out of it and, and taught me to, a better way to run my marriage or my life. When, when I look at what the Scripture designs the church to be and then what it, it, the shambles that it has become, we've missed it completely. And especially with this issue of poverty, when we look at this, we, we sometimes fail to recognize what it is that God is saying. Now that doesn't mean there isn't an Old Testament ethic for, for uh, helping the poor. Even in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6, God would tell us that not, to not give up when we're doing good. To not grow faint. And then he says, then he says, to do, to do good as it is your, upon your opportunity, to do good to all men, especially those of the household of God. So there's an obligation first to the household of God and then to the world around us. And I'm not saying we shouldn't minister to the world around us. No doubt there is an obligation to the world around us at some level, but we are not supposed to alleviate suffering in the world entirely all upon the backs of the church. The Old Testament ethic toward the poor, the hungry, the naked, we see in our verse today. Do you know God has a special relationship with the poor? God has a very special relationship. There is no other group of people to whom God has bound Himself in the way that He's bound Himself to the poor. Proverbs 19, verse 17 describes this special relationship. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to God, and He will reward them for what they have done. Who else is it that this promise has come to that, that somehow that God says, if you lend to them, if you give to them, you're lending to me and I will repay you. I'm good for their debt. This is what you would do for your good friend. This is, this is, I heard the story not too long ago about a, a person who was driving out of town and, and, or, and they, they broke down and they didn't have any money and they needed to get to someplace. And their friend, they called their friend, their friend called the hotel and and that and the, the hotel gave them their credit card number and said, whatever these folks need, you, you do. This is what God is saying. God has bound himself to the poor. In another place in Proverbs 14, verse 31, he says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. And whoever is kind to the needy honors God. You see, we don't hear a lot about ministry to the poor because we like to keep that out of sight and out of mind. But God says, well, what you're keeping out of sight and out of mind is where my heart is. My heart is there to lift people up, not just through uh, acts of charity, but also through teaching and instruction and education. To lift them up in such a way that they can go on. In the book of, Prov or book of Job, rather, uh, Elihu reminds Job a very important truth that sometimes we fail to remember. God shows no partiality to princes, nor does He favor the rich over the poor. For they are all the work of His hands. And we must gain the heart of God in doing that. What the New Testament tells us regarding the poor tells us that, that God wants us to reach out. It's easy to get turned around. Money can turn you around. Remember when Jesus is ministering and, and, and the, the woman who is uh, the sinful woman comes in with the alabaster jar, breaks it, pours the anointing over Jesus. It drips, dribbles all down his, his whole body. And the disciples are outraged because it's worth a year's wages. And so they, they, they say, this is a waste of money. This extravagant devotion is the waste of money. 
what does Jesus tell them? The poor you will always have with you, right? He says, don't get caught up. Don't, don't, don't make the church a social club that tries to just simply meet the needs of the poor in the community. He says, remember that the extravagant devotion in the church is not to the poor, but to God and to Christ. And let things stay. In, it's very easy to get following the money. You know, there's only one letter difference between God and gold, right? It's very easy to, 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 to chase after the, the, the supply rather than the supplier of your need. And so we, we, we're more apt to chase after the hand of God than the face of God. But God asks us to seek His face, to be prayer warriors and to be caring and to carry the burden of the poor in our hearts as we live our life out to be shaped and molded. And, and God is certainly doing that to us here at Christian Life Center. He's shaping us into this, this, this people who will, will love God and love Him even as we love Him in the, in, in the, in the faces of other people. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 6, in the, on the Sermon of the Plain, blessed are the poor. He warns them. He doesn't say poor in spirit in Luke. He says poor in spirit in Matthew. But in Luke chapter 6, he says, blessed are the poor. And he then begins to warn them about those people who are too comfortable, those people who are joking at other people's expense, those people who are well off and somehow insulated from the needs of the people all around them. And he says, if you're, if you've received that, if you're comfortable now, then you've received your comfort. If you have joy now, then you've received your joy. In other words, there has to be a buying in and an affiliation with the suffering of the poor around us. There has to be a willingness to suffer. Listen, any, anybody, anybody who does anything for anyone else has to give up, has to, has to suffer a little bit to go along with the, the program, to reach out to the people, to, to, to bless somebody else. It, it, it's, it demands of a sacrifice. We would be foolish if we didn't do that. The New Testament warns us if we were, could summarize the teaching of the New Testament, we could say that wealth can be a blessing. Don't you believe that? Amen? Yeah, six of you. Well, that's good. Some, some of you might find out. No, wealth can be a blessing. It's a blessing of the Lord. It can, you can be used as a blessing. But it also can be a terrible peril. It can be a danger. You can get so caught up in the, in the danger of following, chasing after the almighty dollar. The picture of the New Testament follower of Jesus Christ is a person who is aware of blessing, but is not chasing the blessing, just recognizes that God blesses him as he does the things that God wants to pour out his spirit on. And so when we read this about the poor, we recognize that wealth can be a blessing, but wealth can also be a, 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 a peril or a danger. But, but also, wealth is an obligation. If, if, you're, if you're wealthy, I, you know, there are special commands to the rich in the Scripture. There are special commands to the rich in the book of James. It's full of them. And so as we hear those, we, we recognize that, there's, that me having wealth is an obligation on my hand because I have dispensable income. And as I studied this this week, I became more and more aware of all the things that, this, that the New Testament tells us about the poor. We remember that Paul went from city to city collecting uh, offerings. In the book of Romans chapter 15, it tells us about this. He collected an offering here and to give it to the poor there, and he would collect an offering there to give it to the poor here because he was trying to knit together the Jews and the Gentiles and bring them together to show that they were all one church. Remember, You remember the first biblical expression of being slain in the Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, and they were really slain. They didn't get back up at the end of the service. They were really slain. That all came about when somebody was trying to pretend like they had a heart for the poor. 
Because Barnabas and a few other wealthy folks sold lands and property and began to meet the needs of the poor within the church. And so Ananias and Sapphira said, let's do this and we'll look good, but we won't, we'll hold some back for ourselves. And God said, you're dead. You're dead. Now that, why? Because they faked a heart of compassion for the poor. We read in the Scripture that, that the first person that Peter raised from the dead, her name was Tabitha or Dorcas. Listen, young people, don't, just be happy your name isn't Dorcas, okay? <laughs> just, just be happy. And, and so Dorcas was, had died, and so Peter is called to her side, and they said, listen, she's worthy of being prayed over and resurrected. Why? Because she does all these service activities, all these makes gifts and helps people. Uh, she's, a, she's a servant of the Lord. She lives her life to help the poor and the needy among us. And so God raises her from the dead. We remember when, when Paul was trying to minister to the Gentiles and the, the Jews weren't so happy about it back in Jerusalem, so they had a big powwow in Acts 15. And they decided they would come together to try to determine what does God demand of Gentiles. And they determined that, that, that God didn't demand the Gentiles be circumcised, nor did He demand that the Gentiles have to follow the law, nor did He demand that, that they, they, they follow the ritualistic worship of, of, of Judaism. But, but the one thing that they demanded, according to Galatians chapter 2, is they demanded that they not forget the poor. Because that's the heart of God. That is the ethic of God. And if, we, if God really has us, we suddenly get possessed by His heartbeat. Suddenly get possessed by what is, is, is amazingly His heartbeat for us. Jesus warned His disciples and some, some of those that were around Him at, the, at one time. He said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back. And so you will be, repaired, be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although, you cannot, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What Jesus is saying is, this is laying up treasure in heaven. What he says in another place that we are laying up this treasure that we will someday meet up again with this treasure that we're investing in the kingdom of God. I can't remember if it was in this service or the other service, the prophetic word about sowing seed. What are you doing sowing seed? And, and what are you investing into your life and ministry? That's exactly what this is talking about. That we sow the seed and we lay, lay the seed ahead of us. And so it's so easy to be insulated. so easy to be disconnected from the reality of, of this. And, and then, then we see a video like this. I'm so thankful that Manny had to get up first because I was in tears in the front row as well. And I'm just glad that, because you always hear me weeping up here, but it's nice to hear somebody else weep, brother. Thanks for taking a bullet for me. It's also a great testimony to have, to have that from one of our leaders here in the church who's willing to see that and willing to act upon that. Has a heart for the poor and the broken. So how can I, as a believer in Jesus, how can I, as a radical follower of Jesus Christ, how can I be responsible and to act upon the nature of, of God that's within me. How can I respond to the poor? Now, we all know that if we win the lotto, we will give to the poor. So let's just take that right off the table right there, because we're all going to do that. But what can I do now? What can I do in my life now? First, I have to recognize that poverty exists. And while poverty exists, and, and while, while it exists, it's getting better. 
It's getting better. I encourage you to go to TED Talks. If you ever see that on, on the, the TED videos on the Internet, there's one by Anthony Bro- or Arthur Brooks who is uh, who's speaking about poverty. And he's, uh, he says that two billion people have been lifted up out of poverty in our lifetime. I just want you to think about that for a second. Two billion people can be li- have been lifted up in our lifetime. And how did that happen? Did it happen through socialism or communism? No, it happened because free trade markets were opened up and people began to step into that and have a, find a way to prosper. I remember, Rick, you remember when we ate that little, that little fish joint in Cuba? And we, were, we, still, we still don't understand communism, but at the time, we were trying to understand communism as we were doing some ministry in Cuba. And we ate at this little fish place. How can this place be open? How does, this ha- how does this family have this business? And they said, well, things are getting better because the government has b- begun to release the ability so that we can have these small kinds of mom and pop shops. And this afforded m- money to come into that family, but they hired other people, other family members around, and that gave them some freedom. This is happening all over the world so that, you know, now when, I, when I say somebody's been lifted up out of poverty, I mean they're making more than 30 bucks a month. Poverty, below poverty, there are still places where people are making, in fact, there's 2 billion more people that are making less than $30 a month. But if you can just imagine that. But, but because these things are happening, because this has happened in our lifetime, that now people are becoming more and more aware of, now that doesn't mean <coughs> that doesn't mean that we we put it all off and say, well, it's being fixed by open markets and free trade and capitalism and all that. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is recognize there is a problem, recognize it's being addressed, it needs to be released. So what can I do? What can I do? And we live in a day and age where there's a lot we can do. You know, you can send a heifer, a cow, heifer.org. You can send a cow to some place, some, some tribe somewhere, and they can live off the milk of that, that, that heifer, and, it'll take, it'll, and, and they can breed that cow so that it'll eventually be, uh, be making more cows. You can buy goats and, and uh, fish. You can open up fish farms. You can, you can give microloans. For $50, you can invest in a microloan ministry where they make a loan of $50 so that the farmer can plant seed that he can put into his field that he can pay back in just a few weeks as the seed grows and he sells that, and then that can be loaned out to someone else. $50 makes a constant returning investment. But when I studied this, as I was looking through some, some reports and on, the, on all these different things, and there's so many, many more, one of the things that I, I saw was that the, one of the most impactful life change organizations is an organization like this one where we support children. And because it follows them all their life, It causes them to rise up from where they were, to know that it's it's constant, it's personal, it's loving, it's more effective. That's why we put our eggs in this basket this morning. Because this is something that can change the world that we can do in our spare time. See, when, when God calls us to change the world, He calls us not just to change the world for the world's sake, but to change the world for the kingdom's sake. I need to remind us that we are not suffering. I know the economy has been lousy. I know that we have had difficulty at different times about, but, but really, you know, first world problems, friends. 
Things are tight, yes. Things are difficult sometimes. But, but we are wealthy beyond compare when we compare ourselves to people in other nations. We, we should all recognize that. If, if poverty exists and, and, and we want to compare it at all to us, we have to recognize that we are wealthy beyond compare. And now, we, we don't always see that because we see Prince's... Do you see Prince's Mansion? Did you see Prince's Mansion? It's on the news. Some of you... Prince is dead. I'm sorry to tell you that. I'm, you know, the king still lives, but Prince is dead. And I'm here to tell you this. Did you see his mansion? It's just opulence, opulence, opulence. It looks like a fun place to live. And we see that, and then we compare our little bungalow here in Berwyn, and we go, oh, man, you know, I, I, I'm not wealthy. But I remind you today that Prince is gone, and his house is here. You can't take it with you when you go, friends. Right? And I don't know what he did as far as philanthropy and, and charitable issues. I don't have any idea about that. But this is one thing I know. You can't take it with you when you go. And, and really, I don't know that I, I'd probably get lost in a mansion like that, so maybe I don't need one. I'm, I'm, I'm not such a great sense of direction these days. So, you know, maybe I don't need all that. Maybe it's all I can do just find my way down to the laundry room to get some new socks and come back up to my bedroom. Maybe, maybe that's all I need. Maybe God knows that's all I need. The issue for us is not to look at the the lives of the rich and famous and then somehow look at ourselves and say, look what a poverty we're living in. The issue for ourselves is to recognize that God has blessed us abundantly. I doubt, whether, I doubt whether a single person in this room will skip a meal today. If you do skip a meal today, it's probably by your choice. But most of us have enough to eat, you know. I, one, one day I just decided, I, 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 I went down to the farm, and I, you know, I have a second house. I went down to the farm, went down there, and I said, I'm not buying any food. I'm just going to eat what's in the cupboard, you know. I was going to eat. I was down there for three days, and 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 I could do it for another three days, and probably another three days after that. You know, I got canned tuna in there. I got uh, I got canned barbecued pork. And, uh, I was a little nervous about that, but in case of the apocalypse, I'll eat it. You know, <laughs> I have some. I have. We have enough, don't we? Have enough? Yes. We eat too much anyway. Come, somebody say amen for that, yes. right? So, so the reality of it is, why, why can't we part with some of that? Why is it? What is it about our heart that God hasn't gotten a hold of? What is it about our heart that has become making it, is it our insecurity that we need, we feel like we need to have something to fall back on? We've got the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in our corner. God has abundantly provided for us. I'm not saying foolishly. I recognize some people that are poor because they have unbiblical spending habits. I recognize some people are, are poor because they choose not to live a lifestyle that God can bless. I know there are lifestyles that God can't bless. I lived one for a long time. And then God came down and showed me, no, live like this. And suddenly blessing began to fall in my life. But you see, that's why we start work doing that in the church. We teach people in the church. We, people don't always like it. They, they, but, but you see, we read in Ephesians the other night, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, that him who stole, that was me before I was a Christian. Him who stole, work, let him work with his hands that he may give, right? That is transformation. Listen, if you were selfish before you came to Jesus and now you're a selfish follower of Jesus, the transformation hasn't been complete. 
you have to get to the place where now suddenly you recognize that I've got somebody in heaven watching out for me and I can afford to give out. And as Manny testified, many times the Lord brings it back to you. As you cast your bread on the water, it comes back to you over and over and over again because that's the way God works in our midst. It's His incentive plan. He blesses as we bless. And I want to be a blesser to the world around me. That's my desire, is to be a person who gives and who blesses and who loves on people who are broken in their, in their hearts. The poor are among us, no doubt about that. The poor are around us, no doubt about that. And then there are those across the seas that we can, that we can frankly change for a couple dollars a day. Can change their entire world for a couple dollars. Will you pray with me? Will you let me pray for you? Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.